Welcome to episode 392 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 392 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. How are you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. You? You sound, you sound a bit kind of like, um, you know, how are you going today? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're looking pretty in pink. Well, yeah, you like my pink there. Mm. Well, it's more pink purpley, I think. That could be my punishment, Kona. If you have to wear something pink, I would, I would never wear anything pink. What? Pink for girls, Bevan. Pink hey, for mate. Girls. It's something so stereotypical. Something so sexist. Oh, wow. Jeez, it's creepers. I thought I thought pretty cool, pretty, pretty hot. My pink flowers on the table. Pink got my Christmas shoes. lilies. Yeah. Do you like the smell? Yeah, hay fever is really working well for me. Are you got hay fever? Yeah, the flowers. You know what? I got Dave Dwan came up to me last week. Dave Dwan or Dwan? Yeah. And uh, Triple D, and he said to me last week's show was a bit average. Was it? And he said, and, and he wasn't the only one who complained about the biscuits at the end. Oh. They were great. No, people said, look, tell John not to do that. Didn't see those emails. So, well, just listen, don't do it. I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofwai.com uh, Tasty coffee, it's that time of season for the for the people in the cold parts of the world. Athlinks.com The new website's up and it's looking awesome. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And M's Power Cookies, I'll be having some more later on. Oh, nice, good try. Nice work. <laughs> Again, this week's show, we've, we've kind of got a couple of interviews coming up, to be honest. That's what we're going to be doing. We've got a, we've got a little bit of news, bugger all news, to not, be honest. really. And then we've got... Two interviews. Paul Newsom with an E Great from name. Swim Smooth is going to talk to us about uh, sort of stroke rate and that sort of stuff. And then just because it's the end of the year, we've got to finish on a high note. Let's go back and talk some <laughs> nutrition and high-fat diets. I did see that. I thought, really? Well, it's a slightly different angle because this guy, uh, Dave Rowlands, he's actually done some research and he did his thesis on this in 2002. So he's actually done a study on it. So we'll actually get some – so many people out there that are so passionate. And I remember, yeah. you know, that, and so much of the evidence is anecdotal. Oh, but this is what I believe. Yeah. But this is actually, right, I've done a study and this is what the results show. It's been a really good study about – Les Mills have conducted some studies around it. And one thing that they were saying is that – that one of the things was that people still felt better on the carbohydrate diet. Maybe I'll bring it up when we go into it later, but it was, it was pretty interesting. Anyway, news. We've got some breaking news, John. This is big news. This is huge. We're breaking it here. <laughs> this is because, okay, right. It's only been confirmed. It was confirmed two minutes before we started the show. Yeah, breaking news. Lance and Macca are going to race head-to-head yep. against a team of Michael Phelps, Eddie Merckx, and Paula Radcliffe. It's on. And then uh, also lining there's up. There's There's only going to be four, four, four starters. It's going to be Lance, Macca, Michael Phelps being in, in the water, and then Molina's going to be our swimmer. Yep. Bevan and I have got to do Roxas' paper. Who's going uh, right to take us from the I'll bike? I'll probably only bike. I'm injured. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You're on the bike. I'm on the run. And they're all going down. That is, it's official. It's official. You heard it here first. Yep, you heard it here first. When's it happening? Tomorrow. 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 <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> yep. It's my, uh, it's, it's my taper session. Is that, is that all you could come up with in news? That's it. Seriously? No. Through all my websites? Nothing's happening. No, nothing I'm related. We've got a couple of seventy point three results. Okay, John, that wasn't just for the record. If you believe that, you're a schmuck because it's far from true. Yeah. <laughs> but but more importantly, John, but you did hear it first. Hear you it did hear it first, first and that's, that's all we care about. Doesn't matter if there's any truth to the news. No, John, I've been thinking about this whole Lance thing lately because there's been a, there's a couple of things in the news come up this week. Um, Who's there? Yeah, he paid hundred. Did you hear about the way he paid guy hundred thousand base bucks to lose a race? 
No. <laughs> well, this is again, you know, it's it's well, I don't know if TSA or not, but the, and you know what, I'm sure this Lance is the, not the only athlete to have ever done this. He won two of the big races, and if he won the 31 a million, right, and uh, he paid a guy off who was his competition 100,000. Mm-hmm. And now this was before, this is like early 90s kind of time. Right. And there was another thing I was reading the other day about another thing that Lance has done, which proves he's a cheat. And and I think the thing is, you know, with this whole Maker and Lance thing, I don't. Uh, is there any more news on that? No, I haven't seen anything. No, and I haven't really tried to follow it, to be honest. But one thing I, I, I do wonder is, because, you know, you're, you're always that kind of, well, let's forgive and forget. You know, you do your time, you do your crime. When do we forgive Lance? You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, like maybe in five years from now, and if Lance had done something and make a word to say, okay, now Lance, maybe we'd be, yeah, okay, now he's done his time. Like, what point do we go to Lance? Well, actually, you know, now, now we don't mind you kind of coming back in. It does seem too if, small if, right everybody's now. Everybody's just going to have a different opinion on that. I know, but I'm asking your opinion. Oh, my opinion? Yeah. Um, I think just stick with the life ban. I mean, in terms of having him back racing, I think stick with the life ban. And who's who's Skyping me there, Bevan? He's on, no, he's on now, but we can get five minutes. Okay, sweet. Uh, no, I just say keep, keep the life ban in place as far as I'm concerned, uh, unless he made some really big steps to try to help clean up the sport. That would be the only thing that would waver me from that position. So you're saying that, he, he, he shouldn't be able to race either again? I don't think so, no. Which is really interesting because normally you say, well, you do your time, you know. I know, but he's, uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose you, he, he is a bit of a special case. It's a bit different, but you probably shouldn't have special cases. So maybe I'm being a bit of a hypocrite. No, well, then, but then there's different levels of crime, isn't there? There is. You know, and, but then they were all doing it, John. <laughs> well, they were, but he was, he's a special one. What about you? Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really curious because some people once they heard this Mecca story, jumped on board, bang, I'm yeah, bring it on, and mm. others like, like myself, I was kind of, well, you know what? I don't know if we want to be open that door to Lance oh. right now. And then I was just thinking this week, well, when does that time come? When do we go? Well, you know what? He's done his time. He's the thing that that gets me now is that the only reason he seems to be showing any redemption is because he wants something. Mm. You know, it doesn't seem as though, and it's hard to say because we don't know the guy and we we don't know what he's really like in person, and we only really get to see it from articles we read. But yeah. but it's hard to really see anything, any kind of responsibility or any kind of ownership of what he did wrong in it. I agree. And and the only reason he seems to be kind of trying to mend some bridges is because he wants to compete again, which is makes sense. He's an athlete; he wants to compete. Um, and so it just got me thinking, you know, well, where, when, what, like, what does he have to do to be allowed maybe to crack that door open again in a way that we go, well, you know what, he's done his time. Because, like, Michael Weiss, you were like, yeah, he's done his time. Yes, yep. But I'm still, I have time with Asterix because he isn't, I don't know, he, again, he's, he's, he, he never got busted. Well, he got busted, but he never... Yeah, but then again, Lance never got busted either. No. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I don't want to talk about Lance. The ebook's not out, John. John, the ebook is out today. today. Let's put some pressure on Bevan. It's out today. I got it this morning. It was this morning or yesterday? No, and I sent it yesterday. Oh, you I've put it was once a day. I've given you twenty-four hours. Come on, pick up the game. Now, let's, let's just be a bit honest about the book, guys. You don't expect a lot from the show. <laughs> Maybe six pages. Yep, that's fine. Six it's going to be a five-minute read, but it's not really about the book. <laughs> five minutes? You were a pretty bloody slow reader to take five minutes. <laughs> I've tried to put some beautiful pictures in it to make it kind of look more presentable. So what's going to happen is we won't be putting it out this year, but once, pretty much what we'll do is aim... First show back. First show back in the new year, which will be on the... 7th of January. 7th of Jan. I am going to release shows over Christmas. Oh. I've told them not to people. Yeah, you, you with me. Probably. No, because Carol Dweck, I can put that one in. 
And I've got this really good work going with the addiction guy, which okay. I think would be a really good one. So they're not really going to be item talk shows. They're going to be... Interviews with experts. Yeah, but, you know... Something to pass the time, but... Well, you guys have a habit of listening to us. And we've mm. gone seven years, John, without okay. missing a show. We okay. can't not do it. Okay. And how tell I know it's a have. I know. <laughs> I know, but we're doing it anyway. Um, what am I saying? Um, the only real news we've had this... Uh, oh, the ebook will be coming out at the beginning of the new year. Okay. First 500 in, 30 bucks. That's it. And you're going to draw to win a trip, a supreme trip to Kona. Kona. Accommodation, flights, food, sorted. Sorted. Yeah. John? There was only a tiny bit of news this week. Uh, well, the one bit that came out today, which is which is quite exciting, is Bevan Doherty and Terenzo Bozzoni are going to square off at the Auckland 70.3. Are you putting your money on? That's a tough one, isn't it? I'd probably put it on Bozzoni over over half Ironman, given if Bevan races the same that he did last year when he, he just had a shitty race, I'd say t- uh, Terenzo would clean no, up well, let's, pretty let's, easily. Let's say they're both sharp. Because, you know, like, it's weird shitty races. I think on that course, possibly Terenzo. I think he'll just have a little bit more in the run than Bevan. But, I don't know. They're very even. Very even. Bevan's on. He, Bevan hasn't had a great 70.3 for for a while that I can remember. He Alcatraz. He got about second or third, didn't he? I can't remember that. Doesn't Potts win Alcatraz this year? Potts always wins Alcatraz. Yeah, does, doesn't he? Or Gomez. Gomez might have won it. Oh, no. Anyway, if I had to put money on, I'd probably put a little bit on Terenzo. If it was Iron Man, I'd definitely put it all on Bevan. But is Torrento doing Iron Man? I don't know. I assume he was. He's got a big Nutrigrain boy. Hmm. Hmm. results, John. Oh, yep. We had a half Iron Man in New Zealand. Uh, Graham O'Grady smoked it. Although my man Mike Phillips came second place, despite, oh, nice. a, th- despite a three-minute penalty on the oh, bike. We shouldn't have cheated. Shouldn't have cheated. <laughs> don't, don't, <laughs> don't know despite how much did he lose by. Oh, he was eight minutes. He, oh, he, so he, he would, would have been five away. minutes down coming off the bike. Um, so I think about five minutes. Okay. Like uh, the Cam- Canberra race? Cam- no, Kansas Hammond won the girls. Over in Australia, the Canberra 70.3, Sam Appleton and Rebecca Keat. That's our news. There's no more races now until Challenge Wanaka. No more significant races. And if you're going to Wanaka, be very excited because you're going to hear me all day. Great. Yeah, that's, that's, life could not get better. That's why you're going down, eh? Yeah, especially I'm just making a, a fleeting trip down. John John is actually saying before we, before we push record, he goes, I'm feeling pretty sharp for Auckland. Oh, we're on fire. It's got to be positive. fire. Got to be on positive. And then uh, next Ironman race after that, uh, WTC race at Ironman New Zealand, first up for the year. Nice. Good. Do you reckon um, if they had a New Year's Eve Ironman, that would go off? Well, there used to be a New Year's Day triathlon in Gisborne for about... A week? Four or five years. No, it was big money. It was sponsored by some... Japanese company because Gisborne is on the east coast of New Zealand and it's the first place, sort of first significant part of the country that gets the sun. So it was really, really building up uh, to the year okay. 2000 and it had big money. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was great. I, used to, I, I, mean, I only raced there once and had an absolute blinder, but it was, uh, it was a good race, but it was on the first every year. No, but I think more like Ironman. So then when you go out, you just go out partying afterwards. Mm. Do you think many people would sign up? I saw Ironman out partying, was that we? I wouldn't be partying after no, Ironman. No. Okay, John, what do you want to talk about the pro ranking here? Uh, Torsten sent through a little image here because he, he understands that Bevan and uh, yep. I get a little bit confused about Easily. the pro, pro ranking. He's, he's summarising all the stuff really nicely. So I thought, given we've got no news, a quick summary of how the pros qualify for Kona and how it's changed a little bit. So in terms of the points, they're allowed to get them from five races. They can get them from... Kona? 
yeah, the, the maximum number of 70.3s you can have counting is three, and then you can have five Ironmans if you want, but the maximum number of Ironman uh, 70.3s is three, and the rest have to be have to be Ironman. So you could have Kona and then any other Ironman, or you could have whatever. You can have, uh, yeah, a lot of the pros will have two Ironmans and then three 70.3s if they need that many results. Then in terms of the point scoring, uh, Kona has, has an 8,000-point race. First place, you get 8,000 points. Drops down, and I mean, fifth is 5,250. Then you've got your regional championships, which is 4,000 points. And then you've got your all, your, all other Ironmans now are 2,000 points. So we, who is it we were, talk, we were talking to Torsten a few weeks ago, or somebody was saying about how many points you need? It was Torsten wrote an article about it, and he was sort of thinking, I think it was around about that 3,500 yeah. point mark. So you've really got to be, you know, you've got to, you've got to kind of do two pretty solid races. Then... I can't even read my flipping own... Uh, two cut-offs. He's got a qualification oh, yeah. period in September. Slots are assigned for two points. End of July is basically 40 top pro males and 28 females. And then the end of August, you can have a 10 males and another 7 females. Automatic qualifiers, in addition to the 85-point slots, um, the following athletes get a slot provided. They are um, validated. He's written in white, which doesn't make it easy to read, does it? Um, and that includes past Kona winners and 70.3 and high V champions from the previous year. That's how Greg Bennett managed to get in a few years ago. Okay. He still had to do an Ironman, but he was either, he was the high V champion. Yep. And if you've ever been a Kona champion, it only goes for five years. Mm. So there we go. Very good. We're, we're going to push pause because we're <laughs> so, going to do an sorry, interview. Sorry, Dave Dwan. We, uh, we're, not, we're not starting off on, on a high note. Oh, yet. mate, this is the best intro ever. Mm. We're, we're going to try a new doodacky with our, uh, with our interview now. This is going to be exciting. Yeah, we've got two sets of earphones. Here we go. Check and we've got two broken microphone stands, thanks to Bevan. So, uh, we've not talked about this on the show yet. No. Oh, I'll tell them about it in a second. Here we go. We're back, and Joe's the genius, John. What were you just about to talk about? <sighs> I can't remember. Come on, that's, that's poor form. It was, it was two seconds ago. You've forgotten already. Well, it was not two seconds. It was 45 minutes ago because we've been talking to Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth. Okay. Newsom with an E. Yeah, it's a shame. Joe's a genius. He is actually a genius. Hey, we've got who's ha- the hardest, we've got person, hardest person to buy for? Your father. Your dad. You buy him a suitcase, an electronic suitcase measurer for weight. You know when they go travelling, you always got to be right on the borderline. That's actually not a bad one. Okay. Is that what you're your man? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. My dad's really hard, but we've got an electric toothbrush here. It was Joe's idea. Yeah, good idea. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Jombo, what were we talking about? Oh, okay. I don't know where we are. Yeah, well, we're moving on to discussion of the week. Okay, let's put up discussion of the week. So, you know what, John? This one took off. Went mental. Last few weeks have been poor because no one wanted to contribute to the book that we're selling. Yeah. And uh, but this week, like within like 10 minutes, we had 100. Well, who do you think are the most influential people in triathlon? Maximum of three names and why? Give us your thoughts. You were happy with the were you, John? Well, one thing, we probably could have rephrased the question because some people... I just copy and pasted what you did. That's fine. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I, I could have rephrased the question. I take no responsibility. Because some people took it who have been the most influential in terms of shaping the sport. But I, what I was trying to get at was who are currently the most influential. So some people said, you know, Dick Hoyt, Mark Allen, Dave Scott, people like that. And yes, they had a big influence on the sport, but not currently influencing the sport, so that's kind of where I was at. So, I got you've got to say, Maka has got an amazing social networking following because, like, oh, probably I don't know, 75% of the people said Maka, Maka, Maka because well, he's got such a big social networking but, but following. You, so, you haven't got him as one of your three, but no, I, I would put him in there, no. And I know where you're going, well, well, hey, don't just disregard my answer, it's usually you, wrong. It's okay, it's okay to be wrong, Bevan. Well, the people have come, the people have spoken, John, they've said Maka, social networking is spoken. 
Well, so anyway, well, let's do some answers okay. and then you and I can have Frank, that discussion. Frank Houdini McVeigh says, Macca over legendary Sato, outspoken. Who else speaks their mind without fear? No one. Um, Phil Wilson's got Dan Enfield, uh, Andrew Messick and Marisol. Marisol Casoldo, who's the president of ITU. Yep. Uh, Sato, Christine McKinlay says Andrew Messick in terms of pure numbers. Whoever was in charge of airing the 1982 Hawaiian Ironman on 80 in ESPN, Julie Moss, Siri Lindley as well. Good old Lee Spore's got uh, um, Chrissy, Macker, and Felix. A number of people have said the Brownleys. A number of people have said, uh, including Simon Hedges, uh, have also said Chrissy Wellington, and quite a few people have said John and Bevan. Thank yeah. you. Don't know about that. Yeah, but. we're far from it. <laughs> <laughs> we're far from it. Um, Luke Woods got Tim Ford. Right. I don't know who he is. Who's He's Tim just Ford? another athlete. I think I think they're being funny. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm with Tim Ford. No, 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 no. Someone else. Must, okay, doesn't matter. Um, Tim, I think Tim Ford was another listener, and he's going, I'm with him. Macca, Macca, Macca. Macca's pretty old. Alan, uh, Anthony Macca. Lee's got Mark Allen, Dave Scott. Macca just did a camp. Tim Ford just did a camp with Macca. Nicole, Nicole de Guzman, Macca. Well, based Kate on this, John, Macca. Macca. Lee Pusselthwaite, Macca. Macca, get a life. Leave us alone. Kathy K, Key, Macca. Crowey. Cray, Macca. Gary Glooms, Mecca. Bloody hell. Mecca's pretty popular. A few people have said Dan Enfield. If you don't know who Dan Enfield is, he's the editor of, well, he's the guy who owns Slow Twitch, which is, you could argue, probably the most, probably one of the best driving websites out there. Mark Cathwaite's got, um, Cathcart's got Mark Riley, although he's now active.com has been sold to a VC. It would be interesting to see how long his influence and participation remains. Make no mistake, Mike and Active have been hugely influential in setting, creating, and running active.com system, including all those lifestyle questions you have to answer when you get online entry for the majority of IM races. That's true, active.com has been pretty influential. It has. Yep. Everybody loves that active.com fee, that $50 fee or whatever you pay when you enter a race. Yes, Gotta love it. a bit rude. Joanne Baxis says Macca and Terenzo for making the sport good looking. Ah, nice. God, um, Andrew Ferguson's got Chrissy Wellington. Craig Lane, unknown but a guy who coaches the triathlon race team, team I race. And then Graham Wrightson, again, age group. Uh, okay. Pretty much everybody says Macca, just about. Quite a few said Chrissy. A few Crowey gets a couple of votes. Messick. Quite a few get Messick. And then a few old people went, Dan Enfield gets a few. Bob Babbitt, uh, Jens du, du Olsen, it's, it's Bob Babbitt. It's interesting we don't get more Babbitt, mm-hmm. you know, because Babbitt's pretty influential. Mm-hmm. But was he influential or was he much just... He, okay, John, let's talk. You're, okay. you're not going with Macro, I know that. No, no. So I'm, I don't actually know... I've basically got my number one, whoever heads ITU in deciding the format of the distances. So um, Casado is the Spanish lady who's the president of ITU. I don't know... Is she good? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, she has a... I don't know. Well, you used to have an opinion. Who was the guy, the old guy who... Les McDonald. Yeah, he always had an opinion on McDonald. Oh, he, was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was out there. He was a bit of a... Yeah, he was quite a polarising character. <laughs> what um, did you think of him? Did you like him? Oh, yeah, he was, he was pretty good. I mean, he's... Yeah, I, 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 I would have loved to have had him on the Legends show. But yeah, we tried to get him, but he was... Yeah. Anyway, um, so I think whoever heads the ITU in deciding the, the format and distances of racing going forward has got a massive influence on where our sports head. And I know most of the people listening to the show are Ironman-based, but I just think there's, there's this little bubble that's boiling away, and if somebody's got the balls to change the format of our racing, it's going to be massive. Oh, but, John, that's not really answering the question. Well, if there is a per- whoever that person is, I don't know the name of that person... That person, I think, is the, is, is 
one of the most influential people in but, the but, sport. But that's kind of like saying, in the future, if this happens, it's not the most influential person now. Well, they're having influence at the moment. They're changing the format of some of the races. They're doing like uphill races and things like that, and doing, going making it shorter. Okay. So I think they are. Okay. So, Bevan, just so, you, so you're going to put it under that lady. What's her name? Uh, Casado. She's Kisado. the current president of. We'll say her for now. Okay. Okay. Uh, I agree with a lot of people. Said Andrew Messick. He's got uh, a huge amount of influence. I personally don't think Iron Man is changing quite as radically as some people think it could be. I think he's again sitting on a what. Could be. Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you know, how long has he been in the job for now? We, I would have thought two years. Yeah, maybe three years, wouldn't it? Isn't it two or three? We we interviewed him. We weren't there at Kona last year, and we were there the year before. And and he he, he hadn't been in the job very long. He'd been like three months in the job. No, no, no. Because we interviewed him the first year we were there. Remember? And then the second year we saw him at Cam Brown. So it must be three years. Yeah, yeah, it's three years. So I also think on Iron Man, like they're sitting on this, in terms of the pros, I just love to see something change in terms of multi-lap or something like that. But obviously he's very, very influential. Iron Man's um, a big part of our sport of triathlon. But it is interesting because when he came in, he did have some big ideas. That, and some have come through, you know, the 12 to get in, the mm-hmm. point systems come in. You know, some things have come through. Mm-hmm. Have we seen dramatic change in the sport? We want, was he was at the aim of his job? Like, it's, it'd be really interesting how do you, how do you measure his success to this point? Mm-hmm. Mm. But he is very a very influential person in our sport. And then third on my list, um, like a number of people had, either Dan, probably Dan Enfield or whoever the editor, current editor is of Triathlete magazine or sort of... And this is where I will differ with you, because I, I agree. Whoever's running ITU has a huge influence on the sport. Um, and obviously there's Messick as well, which, you know, you kind of got to... These people, you know, their position is the biggest influence and whoever's in that position is going to be the mm-hmm. biggest influential person. But Maka is the biggest influential media person in the business right now. Now, I know you can say Triathlete Mag or Dan Enfield, but... You look at what he's done around himself, it's absolutely massive. And he's, you know, like I know you're saying, well, social media, but social media is the way of the time. But how has he actually changed the sport? Well, well, no, but he's, his, his impact, the way, well, how does he change the sport? It's a good question. I think the thing is, is that what we've got to say is what, what he says has influence on people doing the sport. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, when you think of who follows what he says... It's pretty massive, and the, and the reach he has, like I, I think probably Mecca has a bigger reach than Slow Twitch does now, mm-hmm. you know. And I'd probably argue even Triathlete Mag, like when Mecca say something, we hear more about it than like when Mecca mm-hmm. did the Lance thing, mm-hmm. you know, we, that was biggest news, and that would have gone outside of our sport to a bigger reach. Like Mecca's the only person in our sport who ever gets any PR outside of our sport. You know, like yep. he's on ESPN. You know, like he gets, you know, and so. When we think about, and, and also Mecca is the only person in our sport who actually says anything, you know, especially mm-hmm. on the athlete front. So I actually, I, I think Mecca is a big, much bigger influence than someone like Dan Enfield. And I can understand why you could say, well, well so Twitch is a big influence. But again, so Twitch doesn't really influence, they just report. Whereas Mecca actually has an opinion a lot more. And Mecca, the world he's building right now is huge. And he's, and he's got a great team behind him. And, you know, just look at the, believe this year, how many people see Mecca. When Mecca says something, you know, like if it was some other random who'd said, oh, race Lance Armstrong, I'm sure there would have been a lot more adversity to it. Mm-hmm. But because everyone loves Mecca so much. So I actually do think, and, and you, I know you're going, well, social media, but actually social media is the way of the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't you know. I'm not so, disagreeing strong. I think for most pros, they have, they have a big influence on product purchases um, in terms of, 
you know, if, if whoever wins the world yeah, champs yeah, yeah, you're riding is, bike, is riding that bike, boom, that bike goes through the roof. But in terms of actually influencing the, the, the direction of the sport, I think they've got negligible Oh, no, totally. And, and, and Mac is the only person who has that at this moment. Maybe Crowey a little bit, but yeah. but Mac is the only person. But that's the thing is that, so like, you know, if Mac comes down and says something, then that puts the consciousness of a lot of people. So mm-hmm. if he says something that's against, you know, WTC, then that does shift opinion, and then it makes WC have to, you know, look at something. And so I do think he has, you know, a pretty big influence. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting thing no one really mentioned was the big companies, you know, like like a power bar or like a, you know, like the pe- people who have big influence on the money in the sport, you know. Like, I guess it's not really an individual, is it? No, but, but yeah, it is very interesting that no one really thought about that angle, on it, and I suppose it's not an individual, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting like, it's, um, Nobody even sort of put Felix down there, and I know Challenge is... Oh, one person said Felix, but, yeah. yeah. But Challenge is nowhere near the scale of WTC, but uh, they've still got a bit of an influence, um, I think. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Let's be honest, they tried to buy them for that reason, because yeah. they were, you know, and if anything, uh, you know, God, we need that competition, but... Yeah, no, Challenge definitely are an influence on the so sport. So Felix is uh, certainly certainly up there, I think. Like, let's say Challenge didn't exist. How mo- more worse would it be for the pros? How, how what? More worse? Would, I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's not very good English. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know what I mean? Like, it's... But Challenge is sitting on, again, an opportunity. If they went, if they just went, boom, million dollars, same weekend as Kona, what impact would that have? Well, the, the, the really fascinating thing is, is how much would you lose on that? You know what uh, I mean? Like, you know, like, 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 you financially, know, financially, it wouldn't wouldn't work. Yeah, no. Like, what's yeah. the loss leader? But does it? Yeah. Is it a good enough of an appeal? You know, like, you look at a company like what's that big, big store in Costco in America where you, you know they have the loss leaders where you go and and you buy you know something that's stupidly cheap, but then you end up buying ten other things so they make the money off you. Like, is it worth challenge doing something like that, which is a loss leader but draws all this attention, all the pros, mm. or not? Yeah, like, yeah, interesting discussion. Do we want to do a discussion this week, Bevan, or just leave it and then we'll kick back into it in New Year? Um, yes, we do. What we're going to say was, what was your triathlon highlight for 2013? Okay, fine. And we can kick into the... You happy with that one? It's fine. <laughs> it's yep. fine. Let's move on. We're on a tight schedule here. <laughs> okay, sponsor. Bevan, I was on Coffees of Hawaii and I've had my first Christmas present. Oh, have you? We had, we had opened our secret Santas at the weekend for... Um, Belinda's side of the family because we're not going to see her oh, sister nice. and brother-in-law, and I got a magazine subscription for oh, my oh. For my um, my present. So I was thinking, what which one? What mag? Dish. What's dish? Cooking magazine. Oh, I do you like cooking. that. I like my cooking. Oh, nice. So you actually happy with that? It wasn't one of those open up and go. Oh. It was. It was. It was fine. You just went in love, were you? Yeah. Yeah. Ferrari would have been fine. <laughs> um, but I thought. A good gift would be not just coffees of Hawaii, but maybe a recurring coffee delivery. So you give somebody, you know, oh, a, a twelve idea. month. Uh, it won't, it wouldn't cost that much. You get them a, I don't know, a bag or two of coffee a year, uh, a month, twelve months might cost you hundred bucks or so. Yep, depends how much you love someone, doesn't it? It does. You know, <laughs> so I was looking at Dish magazine, where? Yep. So there you go. I've solved all your Christmas problems. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. You got. Well, the thing with that present, days. you don't have to have a give it to them on Christmas Day. Exactly. So if you're late to buying your Christmas presents, let's be honest, a lot of years will be. Yes. You kind of just go coffees of Hawaii, do a recurring delivery, and you make them some blooming thing you print off on your computer and say, look, mm-hmm. in the next month you're going to get coffee, and then it's going to recur for the rest of the year. There you go. And then you have to pay the bill. Exactly. Yeah. Coffeesofhawaii.com. Great supporter of the year. Thank you again to Albert and the team at Coffees of Hawaii for their support through another fantastic year. And you can support them by getting a little product. There we go, Coffees of Hawaii. Okay, guys, we've got an interview with Paul, Paul Newsom from Swim Smooth. It's a great website, guys, if you are looking at improving your swimming. So uh, check it out. Here's Paul right now. 
Righty-ho, we're very happy to have back on the show oh, maybe third time or so. Yeah, I think He's it is. The, yep. the 2013 Manhattan Island Marathon Swimming Champion, also the man behind Swim Smooth, Paul Newsom with an E. Welcome back to the show, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on again. You, you can go and change that surname if you want and just, <laughs> just drop the E. <laughs> You'll be, uh, you'll be much, much more respected in the world yeah, of triathlon. Right, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, tell us about your race because uh, we've got a bit of information. You know, quite a few people sent us emails when you won the, the marathon. Like, what, tell us what it's about and tell us about your race. Yeah, well, it's the world's longest and um, I guess most prestigious marathon swimming event. So marathon swim is considered anything over 10Ks. Um, so obviously the 10K event now is in the Olympic Games and anything above 10K is considered a marathon swimming event. Yep. Um, so there's various marathon swims around the world. Obviously the big one that everyone knows is the English Channel. Yeah, which uh, which we did in 2011, um, but that's not so much a race. It's just like you know, it's you competing against the elements, and uh, it's obviously very cold in there. But Manhattan is actually a it's an invitational race. There's 45 people um, do the event, and they've all one of the prerequisites is you've got to have done the English Channel within the last two years. Okay. So sort of betting people for for their ability, I guess, you know. But um, the the interesting thing about this year was it was only supposed to be. Only supposed to drop down to about 19 degrees in the water. Historically, that's what it's been around Manhattan. Mm. And it's a 46K swim. Um, 46 uh, 46Ks, yeah. But this year, it actually dropped down to 14 to 15 degrees in the water. Mm, um, so that made for some very, you know, it's five degrees colder than it's ever been before in the history of the event. And it's been going for about 35 years. So um, funnily enough, that actually helped, that actually seemed to help me. A little bit. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's, you know, since I left triathlon, I've put on quite a bit of weight to try and actually combat these cold water swims and stuff. And um, I don't know whether it was that or just being prepared. And, you know, a lot of people think Australia is a bad place to train for cold water swimming because everyone assumes it's going to be really hot over here. But mm-hmm. during the winter in, in Perth, you know, it regularly drops down to 12 or 13 degrees in the water. So we've got some uh, very good training conditions there. And that's, um, that's all non-wetsuit, of course, as well. So it's just you and your budgie smugglers, and uh, and away you go, basically. What about, providing you don't get eaten by a shark. What the hell just... Right, over here at the moment, it's, it's terrible, you know. We've got, I'm sure you've heard it in the news. Yeah. Just had some... Had another fatality down in Margaret River, which was very bad, and um, and there's obviously the guy over in Sydney as well, um, the young guy diving, and... Um, oh, sorry, surfing, I beg your pardon. And... Um, yeah, it does make it for a bit bit scary. I do most of my swimming in the river here in Perth, in the Swan River. Um, but even then, there's a few bull sharks in there and stuff. So. How, how long did it take you? Um, oh, well, this is the interesting thing. It took just over seven hours. So if you actually do the average speed on that, that equates to 58 seconds per 100 metres. Nice, mate. You smoked it. So there's a, there's, a nice, there's a nice current that you get. There's, there's basically three rivers that you start off in. You start off in the East River and swim essentially north up the East River. Um, you get to a place called Hell's Gate where, um, where you then enter into the, into the Harlem River. And the pace slows down there a little bit because the, the river sort of is changing um, – you go in between the the currents of the river and the and the flow of the tide, um, and then you get into the into the Hudson River. And there were points in the Hudson where we were swimming at um, eight or nine kilometres an hour, um, which is just incredible. I mean, if you think if you do the maths yeah, on yeah. it's like seven minute kilometres sort of thing, you know. Uh, so it's, it's pretty amazing because you're going along and you're looking at a building, and all of a sudden you look again and you've gone you you know you're 100 metres past it. It's just um, it's just an incredible sensation and, um, you know, you've got all these other guys and girls swimming around you just betting for position and stuff and it's a long day out there. I mean, seven hours is still a long time to be swimming. Well, how long uh, does it take you to swim the channel? 
Um, so the channel, the interesting thing with channel, I swam that in September 2011, and we had, we had the worst day on record that year for that particular event. Um, um, and that took me just over 12 hours to get it across. So it, it sort of, even though the channel's shorter, it sort of shows you how those conditions can, can really blow out. You know, I was hoping to swim... I was hoping to swim around about uh, eight and a half, nine hours for the English Channel. And um, so for it to blow out to 12 hours, and you know, I felt great swimming across it. It was just the conditions. We had a 35-knot headwind um, right the way across to France. Wow. So I think it was like a force five gale or something like that that we ended up um, swimming into. But when when you make that decision and that commitment to swimming across there, and you you're not going to give up, are you? Not going to give up. Exactly right. You know, and a, a very good, um, very good friend of mine, and um, and somebody who used to hold the the English Channel world record for the from France to England when he used to be allowed to swim that way. A guy called Lyndon Dunsby in the UK. He um, just before the swim start, he said, "Look, if you can get across there in between twelve and thirteen hours, you'll have had a really, really good swim today." He said, "He said put any any chance of a uh, world record or well, not world record? <laughs> wouldn't be going for that, but any chance of uh, any chance of a super quick time, well out of your um, out of your mindset sort of thing. Because it's just it's just not going to happen out there. So, yeah, to get across was a good thing, but then." Um, to actually do a marathon swimming race like this one over in Manhattan, and uh, you know, come out, come out, trumps. That was a that was a really quite exciting thing to be involved with. Uh, I had um, Adam, who's my partner in Swim Smooth. He was on the boat with me, yeah. uh, which was fantastic. And we had a guy from uh, guy from over on the um, the west coast of the US. A guy called Evan flew over and uh, and sort of helped us with navigation, etc. And my friend Amanda from from Perth came over. So yeah, it was a great day out there. Great can, day. Can I ask him, um, what's it like, you know, because when you do Ironman, when you do triathlon, you're always mean and lean, you know, and, and you know, there's probably an, there's an esteem that comes with that. What's it like to do a sport where you deliberately have to kind of be overweight and does that kind of affect the esteem in any way? Yeah, it's very different because, I mean, we, we get a – I still coach a lot of uh, a lot of triathletes, you know, and yep. uh, um, the classic thing is – I don't know if you, how much you guys looked into our swim type system, but one of the swim types yep. is called the Arnie, and typically these guys are quite sort of lean, mean, fighting machines, and they, they typically don't like swimming too much. And the really classic thing to hear them saying during a video analysis session is say, they say, just getting so frustrated with my swimming, don't know why I'm not getting better, and they'll, they'll actually point to somebody in the pool and go, look at him, he's really fat, how, <laughs> so much faster than I can. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously the, the the reason we carry a lot more body fat. I um, when I went up, when I did the English Channel, I went up to eighty one kilos. I was seventy about seventy six when I did uh, Manhattan. And uh, but I used to race triathlon back in the early days at about sixty two, sixty three kilos. So you can imagine oh, how yeah. body shape has sort of changed in those in that time. Um, but it, you know, arguably it's what it, what gets it's what gets you through these events and. Um, one of the fastest seeded um, female swimmers going into the event. Um, I was actually ranked fourth going into this event, so I wasn't meant to win it. Uh, but one of the girls, I looked at her body shape, and she looked like an elite triathlete, like an elite Ironman athlete. Yeah. And I thought, there's no way you're going to get through that. You know, it's going to be so cold out there. And she was, she was having a little bit of a dib and a bit of a jive at me for putting on all this wool fat, saying, "Oh, you won't need that. You Aussies, you you put on too much wool fat and stuff. It's all ridiculous." But that sort of stuff does help to keep the keep you insulated and keep you mm. warm. Mm. And get you around the course, and you know, at the end of the day, it's a little bit. Uh, this sounds a little bit cheesy, but I often think about the weight gain as being a little bit like, um, you know, somebody like Matt Damon putting on weight for a movie role yeah. that he's got to do. Yep. You know, and, um, if he decides that he's then got to sort of trim down for another movie, then that's what he's got to do. You know, and um, it's the same sort of thing with marathon swimming. But there is the, going back to what you said, that sort of stigma about it. It is a weird thing to have to put on weight for an athletic event. Um, because obviously, you know, being used to triathlon, knowing that it's important to be lean and mean, 
uh, for, the, for that particular event, it's quite a different sort of mindset. And it, it, getting through that mindset is quite a hard thing, at least initially, you know, to get through. And then, then it's all just about pizza and Coke and uh, beer. And... <laughs> you get used to it pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Very nice. Oh, well, on to the, uh, the nitty-gritty of swim smooth stuff. And um, yep. sort of the topic we wanted to cover today was talking about swim, uh, about stroke count, stroke rate, stroke length, because yep. there's um, differing opinions out there, and a lot of that opinion, I don't know, in my opinion, comes from um, from swim coaches, and we get a bit influenced by them, not necessarily maybe taking the triathlon slant all the time. So, before we get started, can you, when you when you're talking um, stroke count, just yep. so we're all on the same same board, are you talking uh, one arm per length? Are you talking both arms per length? When you're talking a number, what what are you what are you meaning? It's a really good question, and, and it's, it's worthwhile giving a bit of clarity here. So if, you, if you're typically counting stroke count, so strokes per length, uh, you'd ask a swimmer to swim in a 25-meter pool or a 50-meter pool and count right arm as one, left arm as two, right arm as three, left arm as four, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the way stroke rate is actually counted, which is the number of strokes you're actually taking per minute, that's usually expressed as stroke rate, uh, sorry, stroke cycles per minute. Uh, so right arm would be one, left arm would be still considered one, and then right arm would be two, and so on and so forth. So that gets a little bit confusing. So what we do, <coughs> excuse me, what we do with Swim Smooth is when we express strokes per minute, we actually use it the same as what you do stroke counts, just to simplify the whole thing. So if I'm saying 60 strokes per minute, that's literally left arm is one, right arm is two, left arm is three, right arm is four, just to keep it simple. And it also helps with the accuracy as well when you're actually measuring this as a coach mm-hmm. um, to actually sort of measure both sides. And, you know, you can sometimes even, you know, if you use something like a tempo trainer, which is a little audible device that a swimmer can put underneath a swimming cap. You can usually um, detect sort of imbalances or asymmetries in the stroke if you if you give a beeper for each arm as opposed to every stroke cycle. Mm. Uh, so I appreciate that's a little bit different sort of cadence on the bike. On cadence on the bike, you'd actually just count every time the right leg goes round, for example. Yeah. Um, but obviously, we're dealing with much lower numbers here um, for swimming um, in terms of stroke rates and stuff. So, yeah, whenever I'm talking about stroke rates, uh, sorry, stroke rate, I'll be talking left arm is one, right arm is one, and then stroke count, exactly the same. So it's all on the same page, basically. But it's an interesting one because you sort of get, um, people can get confused about what they're talking about when it comes to this. I mean, historically, coaches have used stroke counts and the number of strokes people are doing per length um, as a gauge of efficiency. Um, But it's it's fair to say, like you're just sort of hinting at there, John, it's fair to say that people do get very, very carried away with this. Mm. Uh, thinking that obviously the lower is better but it comes to a point you know where you actually then start to trade off a lot of stroke rate and you might have a very long beautiful looking stroke but if the stroke rate gets too slow then you start to lack rhythm you start to lack efficiency within the stroke and i don't know if you've read um, ian thorpe's recent book um but it's quite interesting here and again this is even he gets the uh the terminology a little bit confused here but what he says in the book um when he's talking about his technique he says um i also aim to reduce the stroke rate rate during stroke technique sessions um i've got it down to 24 per lap so it doesn't actually mean stroke rate there it means stroke uh, so he says i've got it down to 24 per lap and that's in a 50 meter pool which is mm. about as low as i want to get it i could reduce it by another four strokes but the danger is that i get to the point where i'm gliding rather than swimming efficiently Mm. So here you've got somebody who's you know been held up as a poster boy for long stroke, long smooth strokes, and um, even even he recognises that there's a limit to how long you'd actually want to make the stroke. 
which is quite interesting because we had a had a chat for a session a while back and I, I often use this as an example but it's about three years ago and um just before he jumped in the pool he's been swimming for about three for, uh, sorry about five years he said swimming about five times per week and um he said i don't know what's going wrong i can do 28 strokes per 50 and he said that's better than ian thorpe but this guy's swimming two and a half times slower than ian thorpe he's swimming about 25 Kilometer. So I looked at his stroke and I said, well, you know, the problem you've got here, is you might be doing 28 strokes per lap, but you're swimming at 33 strokes per minute. Mm. Uh, he, he wasn't too sure what that actually meant in, in the true respect, in the true terms of the thing, because all he'd ever been used to was counting the number of strokes and just sort of trying to get it lower and lower and lower. Mm. Now, what's really interesting is I said, what, what stroke rate do you think Ian Thorpe used to swim at? You know, I said, you know the stroke count that he used to do, which is 28 or 28. About 30, it was actually about 30 when he was racing, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, but what do you think his stroke rate was? Your, I said, yours is 33. What do you think his was? And he said, oh, his was very slow as well because he looked slow and graceful. But the reality was Ian Thorpe used to stroke at between 74 and 76 strokes per minute, which is actually very, very quick and also very, very long. And that's why he was so much quicker than this particular guy in this particular example. So um, I think it's very important as coaches and as swimmers ourselves is that we know where some of these benchmarks lie, but also to recognise the fact that um, that we're all individuals as well. So it's not like I can give you, I can give you, re, uh, give your listeners a a single number which they all need to aim for. That just wouldn't work at all, you know. And a, and a classic example of that is. I, you know, I swam around Manhattan Island. I won this marathon swimming event at, eight, at 81 strokes per minute. If, uh, if most of your listeners would try to swim at 81 strokes per minute, they'd be completely gassed by, you know, 100 meters or something. It's quite mm-hmm. a right. Um, but the interesting thing with this is, you know, I we did a little bit of maths behind that, and apparently I'd taken around about 35,000 strokes to get around the around the swim course to win that particular event. Um, somebody else in in the history of the sport sort of thing had claimed to be one of the most efficient swimmers ever. He'd gone around in 27,000 strokes. It took 8,000 strokes less than what I did. But he swam two hours slower than I did and was finishing at the back of the field. Mm. You've got to sort of ask the question, well, which is most efficient, really? Is it is the one number there or is the one number that's right for a particular swimmer, given, oh. their, given their build, et cetera? Yeah, that was going to be a question I had. Um, how big an impact does does your build and length of your arms and length of your body you know um, have to do with that? Because Ian Thorpe was obviously a, you know a giant of a guy, and, yep. and then if you've got some little um, you know yep. five foot five eight female age group um, who weighs uh, short arms fifty kgs, you know what what's uh, is there much of an impact there? And and maybe I don't know contrast that to cycling. You know most people I don't know most people who cycle might have a cadence of you know, 90 to 95, uh, and it might not vary massively depending on their size, but what about with swimming? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very uh, important point to take into consideration there because because um, obviously we do all uh, vary in stroke, um, sorry, in length of arms and height and those sort of things. And also the, the type of musculature that we have as well. So Ian Thorpe not only was a big guy with, you know, big shoulders and long arms, etc., but the sort of force that he's able to apply per stroke, taking the analogy of cycling again, would mean that he's essentially able to push a big gear when he's swimming. Mm. Uh, um, whereas, you know, you, t- you take your elite um, Ironman athlete, let's take somebody like Kate Bethelacqua, who I coach over here in Perth. You know, this year she's, she's taken a swim time down from 63 minutes over the Ironman distance to she won Ironman Louisville this year with a 48 and a half minute Ironman swim. Wow. Just, just incredible, you know. And like a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it was current assisted or what have you. But she was 30 seconds behind the pro men, including your own countryman over there, Guy Crawford, who I, yeah. I, who yeah. I also coach over here as well, Blue yeah. 
Guy, yeah. you know. So for her to get that close to uh, to Guy over a swim is just incredible. And one of the things with her is, you know, Kate's. And she won't mind me saying this. Is she, you know, she's of shorter stature, and um, she used to swim with a very very strong leg kick and try to be lengthening out her stroke and keeping her head down. But that stroke just didn't work for her at all. Um, so now she swims at around about eighty eight to ninety five strokes per minute. She's got a really really high turnover, and that's to sort of respect her height and her build and the fact that she doesn't have massive long arms and it's really interesting seeing those two swimming side by side in the pool because I, you know, I train with them on a day-to-day basis with them and um, you know Guy as you know he's, he's like an albatross he's very mm. very tall very lean uh, very long arms etc and, and Kate's almost the complete opposite of that much shorter arms and to see them swimming at a similar speed but with a very different stro- contrasting stroke style you know it's quite pleasing for me to see that because they're obviously doing what's right for them as opposed to what you know what sort of fits the uh, one you know, one stroke fits all type of uh, terminology, but it's um, you know I don't know if you guys have read um, Alastair and Jonathan Brownlee's book. No, uh, no. I highly, highly recommend it. I know, obviously, you guys talking here a lot more about Ironman sort of thing, but it's a brilliant, brilliant book looking at the insight into into two champions of the sport. Mm. Um, one of the, you know they get into a little bit of nitty gritty about their about their strokes and stuff. And um, here's a little quote from that: They say a lot of try coaching tell you tells you that taking fewer strokes is better. Not for us. I don't swim off a powerful stroke. This is Alistair speaking. I don't pe- I don't swim off a powerful stroke or a long stroke, but on arm turnover, the number of strokes I can take per minute. So Alistair would typically be swimming again in the sort of ninety stroke per minute bracket, which is incredibly quick. Mm. Uh, um, you know, and if you look at it, if you if you break it down and watch him in the pool, he doesn't look like the smoothest swimmer out there. But you'd, you know, he's arguably the best in the you know arguably the best in the world out there. You know, he's, he's always in the back on the swim. We know obviously his um, running and uh, cycling credentials are, are uh, second to none, sort of thing. But in the swim as well, you know, he doesn't. He talks later on in the book about how it's not necessary to have the prettiest stroke in the world because at the end of the day, you're not getting any style points for. For swimming out there in a triathlon um and I thought, I thought that was an awesome quote as well but um you know again this is a guy who is, who probably weighs um you know sort of mid 60s i would imagine 60 kilos he's not he's not a big powerful athlete but he he knows that he needs to generate his speed by arm turnover what about the efficiency of the movement you know like so if, if you're someone like a torpedo who's you know got massive power mm. you know they're, they're using energy output for the power and so the costs of the turnover they're not putting as much power so who, who ends up spending more energy or does it work out to be about the same well it's, it's interesting because if you asked alice for example to swim with a very very long stroke um it's, it's just not going to be able to generate the same force yeah Water, you know, for that length of stroke, basically that uh, that that Thorpe would be able to do so. So for him, it's actually very costly in terms of like mechanical energy to be able to even try to achieve that. Um, there's some, been some studies done on looking at age group, uh, sorry, on triathletes versus pool swimmers in terms of the size of their hands, etc. And you can imagine how you know somebody like Thorpe would have a massive shovel-like hand, basically able to get a really good grasp on the water and be able to use that sort of mechanical energy to to sort of get a nice firm grip and then sort of press the water back behind him and use the force in those larger muscle groups. Mm. But equally, if you ask to ask Thorpe to swim at 90 strokes per minute for 1500 meters, that's not going to work as either. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's about looking at the. It's about saying to Thorpe, okay, 70 to 74 strokes per minute might well have been the might you know might well prove to be the optimal stroke rate for you but that's not going to work for Alistair and likewise if you flip it around 
the opposite's not going to be true either. So, you know, it's quite an interesting one because you look at people like, um, like in the past, somebody like Janet Evans uh, from the US held the world record for the 800 freestyle for the longest, the longest period in swimming history. And um, she'd be swimming in excess of 50 strokes per 50 meters. So a lot of people used to say, you know, you're only good as a swimmer if you can do under 40 strokes per minute. Uh, sorry, under 40 strokes per length. There's me getting my terminology mixed up. <laughs> under 40 strokes per length, you'd be, you know, sort of 52, 52, sorry, 52, 53 strokes per length, but swimming in excess of 100 strokes per minute. And, you know, people used to sort of write her off as being a bit of an anomaly. She's fighting the water, et cetera. But you can't be fighting the water if you're a, an Olympic champion yeah. and a world record holder, do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. she's doing the, again, going back to sort of what's right for the right person, she was doing the right thing for her and um, and she wouldn't have wanted to be Thorpedo. Likewise, Thorpedo wouldn't want to be Janet Evans. So, you know, it's, it's quite interesting, really. Again, you've got, um, I, I picked up something else on Twitter just recently, um, Simon Whitfield, 2000 Olympic triathlon champion and 2002 Commonwealth Games champion. Um, he said, though, I was down at a swimming session once and uh, he said, listening to an age group triathlon coach yell, kick harder and slow down your stroke. Uh, and his response to that was, unless they're playing a game of do the opposite, this is bad advice. <laughs> uh, you know, going back to the whole thing, John, that he said there about, about swimming coaches and stuff, you know, we've got to remember that. Okay, we're talking here purely about the, I guess, the mechanics of the stroke. You know, what is your stroke count? What is your stroke rate? But then we've also got the the shift to the environment of the open water where things change again a little bit. You know, if you get in rough water, how do you modify your stroke accordingly to suit those conditions? So we talk within our swim type system about about two swim types at the top of our paradigm, if you like, swingers and smooths. So Ian Thorpe would be a classic smooth, of course, and somebody like uh, Alistair Brownlee would be a classic swinger. Now, typically speaking, swingers don't look that smooth in the pool, but somehow they just seem to do very, very well in the open water, whether it be the fact that they're maybe a little bit more aerobic in nature or they tend to have a higher stroke rate, which allows them to sort of keep the momentum up, keep the rhythm of the stroke going and battle through those waves, etc. You know, then in that case, then you'd be coaching a smooth, for example, who smooths typically sort of... um, say to me, you know, when I, when I coach them, they say, I, I know that I'm a good swimmer, but why aren't I performing quite so well in the open water? And nine times out of ten, it's a combination of two things, really. It's a combination that their stroke rate might be a little bit on the low side in that they're actually getting stalled between waves. But the other quite interesting thing as well is that smooths often like to um, swim by themselves in the open water. So they like to make a little bit of a break at the front at the start, get some clear water, and then just swim like that. Whereas we ran a uh, we ran a blog a couple of years ago, and it, the title was "Behind Every Smooth Is a Gaggle of Blood Sucking Swingers." Uh, <laughs> the swingers have got absolutely no hangups whatsoever about sitting on the toes of somebody, getting the draft benefit, etc. And that really shows that you know that stroke style can be very well adapted to uh, to the rough open water and swimming in the context of you know a thousand of the swimmers, etc. So that's not saying that everybody needs to be a swinger, but that's to sort of look at the reason why some of these swimmers out there in triathlon they might not look the prettiest swimmers in the world, but somehow something they're doing within their stroke style is working for them. And I think we can all learn a little bit from that, just like we've all historically in the past looked at people like Ian Thorpe and thought wow you know the reason he is smooth is because he's got a very long stroke whereas the reason he's actually smooth and fast is the reason he's you know he's got a long very technically efficient stroke but it's also a fast stroke as well his stroke rate of 76 strokes per minute is is very very quick so in terms of um you know from a a triathlon coaching perspective you know how do you use 
stroke rate or stroke count as um, as a coaching tool when you might have a variety of people you know in a lane doing you know doing a workout do you do you use it as a coaching tool to say right we're going to work on getting our stroke rate down or stroke rate up in this particular particular part of the program that's again a really good question because again the, the majority of swimmers that I coach are either open water swimmers or triathletes. Um, I do coach a few pool swimmers, um, you know, for masters events, etc. But obviously, in the open water context, you have no, you have no, um, you can't measure somebody the length of somebody's strokes. So you can't say to them, go between these two points and let's count how many strokes they are because you know if you're in the open water especially doing a marathon swim you just don't know that but what you can measure is their rate of their stroke and you can actually give them feedback on that during an event so you know if it's like somebody like me doing the Manhattan Island swim my the guys in my boat were monitoring my stroke rate and if it ever dropped below uh, dropped 5% below where I'd started off at they were concerned that I was getting cold or tired or you know maybe needed um, some more fuel in the system etc so when it comes to the um, the coaching perspective in the pool, we tend not to do any stroke counting exercise, as in counting how many strokes per length. But what we are fortunate enough to do is those tempo trainers I was telling you about beforehand, we've got one tempo trainer for every swimmer within the squad, um, which makes it quite a, quite a costly exercise because they're about $50, $60 each. Mm. But they're a great training tool because then I can sort of say, I can go to every single swimmer in the squad um, and say, okay, your, your base stroke rate is 60 strokes per minute or your base stroke rate is 70 or 50 or whatever it might be. And in the context of today's session, what we're going to do is we're going to do some technique work to either increase or, like you said before, decrease the stroke rate depending on what we're working on, depending on whether we're working on improve, sorry, improving their catch or, um, or their, their efficiency through the water. We might look at lowering the stroke rate a little bit. Or if we're doing some open water specific skills to combat the rough water, we might look at increasing the stroke rate a little bit. So these, uh, these gadgets are very, very easy to use. Once, I gone, once I've gone through everybody and said, okay, yours is 64, yours is 62, or whatever it might be, they're then in control. I might be then saying, okay, let's do 850s at, at two strokes above that or uh, four 100s at two strokes below that. And they can literally just use the buttons to take it up or down. And the, the beeper just emits a, an audible beep in that rhythm, basically. So 62 strokes per minute, you've literally just got a beep in your head going beep, 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 mm. like so. And uh, you might think that gets incredibly annoying. And some people don't like using them. But um, the majority of swimmers find it very uh, revealing. And, and, and also just how how little changes, very, very subtle changes to your stroke rate can actually really affect how you feel within the water. Um, one of the things that we do is we do a stroke rate ramp test, which is a very popular way to, um, to ascertain what, um, what's the ideal stroke rate for somebody. So you'd maybe you know, get John, for example, for a swim session. And um, this is John Smith, not John Newsom. <laughs> I, get, I get John Smith for a swim session and John Smith might be doing 50 strokes per minute naturally. And what you do on this little ramp test is um, a little bit like what you do with a, with a ramp test on the bike in the, uh, in the lab is um, you'd say, okay, let's start off a little bit below where his natural pace is. So let's maybe start off at 42 strokes per minute. And each 50 meters, what we'll do is we'll just increase that number by two or three strokes per minute. You don't want massive jumps in um, jumps in level because of the subtlety of that that change. So um, you might go from 42 to 45 to 48 to 51 and so on and so forth. And what the coach can then do is the coach can simply count how many strokes they're doing per length, 
time them per length and also ask them for a rating of perceived exertion per length as well and um, and any comments they might have about what they felt like so in between these 50s they might get you know 15 20 seconds rest just to make sure they're not getting too tired throughout the course of the set so you're literally just looking at how the rate of their stroke and changing that affects their um affects their uh, their ability in the water and what you typically find is like a bit of a bell curve you know so a very very slow stroke rates even though you might think it's quite easy the swimmers tend to swim very very slow and what a lot of swimmers tend to do is they tend to sort of like um, Simon Whitfield was saying there they they slow their stroke down but they end up kicking harder to sort of push themselves through these sort of dead spots or delays or over gliding at the front end of the stroke and that can actually be very um, cost ineffective you know it takes up a lot of energy to actually do that Mm. So what they find is that, or what we find as we do this ramp test is as the stroke rate starts to come up, the swimmer not only starts to swim faster, but actually starts to feel a bit easier as well, up until a point whereby you then take them above that sort of threshold point and then you get some like negative returns, i.e. The, the times might not be getting any faster, but the swimmer really starts to feel like they're working a lot harder. And from using that little ramp test, then you can sort of ascertain, okay, you can say, okay, so-and-so, John is normally swimming at 50 strokes per minute. That's probably a little bit low for him. Him, 56 is where he needs to be and um, you know you can then sort of subsequently test it in other sessions where you might do longer intervals 50 meters is obviously only a short interval for a, for a test like scenario but you might get them to do it over 100 meters or over 200 meters or, uh, or what have you and um, it's, it's really quite a good uh, good exercise to do and I, I don't know, and for my view as well, um, we often see in the, in, on the bike and the run, we see people's cadence fall off the further they get into the race, uh, and then you often see either their power might fall off or they just slow down, and I think that's um, something pretty similar you'll find with uh, with swimmers is, is maybe using those tools, doing a, I don't know, a 2K time trial or a 4K steady swim, and, and just sort of seeing what happens to people's uh, cadence the further they get into the, the swim. Absolutely, you know, like I say, that's what the guys were monitoring with my stroke around Manhattan. You know, 81 strokes per minute was the was my average around there. But they were looking for, you know, they would have started to get concerned if I dropped down to much below sort of 74 or 75, because it's an indication that maybe I'm getting tired or cold or all of the above. Do you know what I mean? So. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good way of doing it, and, and like I say, the, the the little ramp test there is just one of many ways which somebody might want to try and uh, manipulate their their stroke rates and uh, and see how see if they're truly working at their optimal level mm. and that number isn't it's not a fixed number it's not like okay john smith finds out he's 56 strokes per minute and therefore that's what he needs to stay at for the rest of eternity it's that's what john smith sat at this point in time you know you might test him again in six or eight weeks time and you know it might have shifted a little bit depending on the sort of stroke technique work that you've been doing with him and um we <laughs> on our uh, coaching courses that we run for other coaches around the world um we we get 12 coaches in and um we we do one of these ramp tests on the second day and we typically choose two swimmers um who we've had either from the coaches themselves or from from some coaches who put their hand up to to be part of that uh, that coaching course and uh, we'll typically pick an arnie and we'll typically pick an overglider and what's nice about doing those two guys on the ramp test is that arnies are typically the guys who all are stroking too fast and wasting too much energy by just sort of bashing the water and really fighting it you know swingers sometimes look like they're fighting the water but the, the difference between a swinger and arnie is that an arnie is swimming significantly lower or slower than a uh, than a swinger would do mm. so you'd never say that 
uh, Alistair Brownlee was fighting the water, you know, not when he swims 16 minutes for 1,500 metres, okay, but his stroke rate might still be higher than an Arnie. But when you take an Arnie and an overglider side by side through this stroke rate ramp test, what you typically see is that the Arnie is swimming at a stroke rate which is too high for him or her at that point in time, and equally an overglider, because they've often been working on trying to reduce the number of strokes per length, their the stroke rate is often too low. So it's quite nice doing them side by side because the coaches get to see two swimmers doing two, you know, two identical tests, but giving them a um, giving them a uh, an appreciation of where their where and how their stroke rate would want to change. And uh, typically for the overguide it's up, and typically for the Arnies it's down. So you've talked about that um, that little gadget. What's it called again? And what's the the brand it's name? A- it's called so the the, the brand is Finice. Um, they we actually spent a bit of time with um, with John Mix and uh, the crew from Finice over in um, over in um, California uh, back in July just after we'd done this Manhattan swim and it was a fantastic fantastic setup they've got over there and their little product is called a Tempo Trainer. Um, so what's really nice about this if you if you're actually thinking of getting one of these things at the moment it actually comes with a um, Finice have gone out and. Um, They've done up a like a training manual for it and asked us to write part of that uh, training manual. So part of the training manual comes with a um, uh, an exercise from us where we're not looking at using the tempo trainer for stroke rate, but we're using it for one of its other features, which is allowing you to sort of say, okay, I'm let's say you tested your threshold pace and it said that you're swimming at one minute forty per hundred meters. Um, the nice thing about the tempo trainer is it's so precise that you can next week. T- 140 per 100 meters breaks down to 25 seconds per 25 meters. Um, next week, you could plug in 24.85 seconds, for example, um, so just 15 one hundredths of a second faster per 25. You wouldn't even notice the difference in that. Um, but if you do that over a course of 10 weeks, slowly and progressively get a little bit faster and a little bit faster, then the tempo trainer can almost work like a beat test, just trying to sort of keep you in, in, in track and help you improve your pacing awareness as well. So. It's a really, really great tool. So Finney's Tempo Trainer, highly recommend one of those. Cool. And I guess the, the, probably the only other question I've got around um, stroke rate and stroke count is, is how, how much variability is there depending on what uh, distance of effort you're, you're doing? So whether you're doing a, a 400-metre time trial versus a 4K Ironman swim. Um, for, for, say, a swimmer versus your, your typical Joe Bloggs triathlete, how, how big a variance do you typically see for their, their stroke rate? Yeah, again, that's another good question. I think maybe if we can modify that question just slightly. Um, so 400 to 4K, obviously those two events would still be constant. Even the 400 would still be considered quite aerobic. Mm. But if you're looking at the difference between, let's say, a 200 meter where it's a little bit more sprinty-like and uh, and a 4K, then you're going to start to see quite a bit more variance in, in those sort of distances. Um, how, much dis- how much variance? It'd be interesting to sort of um, do a study on that. I would suggest that if somebody was swimming, let's say, a, let, let's use your example of 404K. If um, Ian Thorpe was swimming 400 metres at 76 strokes per minute, which we know that he used to do, and if you could manage to sort of motivate him to do a 4K swimming the open water, <laughs> yeah, because I, I know that he wouldn't have liked those ultra-long distances, but if you, if you could get him to do that, then you might be looking at more like sort of 68, 70 strokes per minute. But, again, that's just assuming that you're just doing like for like. Mm. that's not assuming that you've maybe coached Ian Thorpe in good open water skills and suggested to him that, hey, look, you know, you used to swim at 76. You might think there's no way you can sustain that for 4Ks, but in the rough open water, you might want to modify your stroke a little bit to help you get through those waves and that chop, et cetera. Mm. So, um, 
yeah, there's going to be a little bit of variance over those distances, and that's why it's important when you do this ramp test. You know, we're testing over 50 metres. It's then important, obviously, to then um, test it over 100 metres, 200 metres, do some longer swim sets to make sure that that stroke rate feels right for you and, and is balanced. But what is interesting is when you look at the difference in stroke rate between swimming in a wetsuit and swimming without a wetsuit on. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think about it, the, the wetsuit itself has an elastic component to it. So as you stretch forward... The elastic pulls you back. It's pulling you back, exactly right. So swimmers, even though most swimmers will obviously swim faster with the wetsuit on, they'll actually swim with slightly reduced range of motion in the shoulders. So the stroke length with the wetsuit on might be slightly less, but the stroke rate tends to be slightly higher, typically in the region of about five to six strokes per minute. So if you, you, know, if you guys out there, you listeners are interested in trying one of these tempo trainers, um, they you know, do the little test in the pool, do the ramp test, find out where they're sat. But then in the open water, if you put the wetsuit on, just sort of bear that in mind. They might, want to, they might try and do it in the open water and think, geez, this feels really slow. And that would be why it feels really slow is because it's, you know, uh, because of the elastic component and because they swim a little bit faster with that wetsuit on as well. Very nice. Um, anything else you want to add about um, about stroke stroke rate? And and if not, um, tell us a bit about what's going on at Swim Smooth. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Um, well, I think really the the take home point with the whole stroke rate, stroke count thing is to not get overly obsessed on on either side of the equation. Um, you know, arguably there'll be some people who've listened to, into this and will have recognised the fact that in the past they've only been concerned about stroke count, as in the number of strokes they take per length. And hopefully this gives a little bit of food for thought to think about the other side of the equation. But equally, there'll be people out there who will just sort of think all right, okay, I've got to try and get my stroke rate up to what Alistair Brownlee was doing. That's amazing, da 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 without recognising the fact that, you know, Alistair Brownlee's 30 kilos lighter than they are and their, their arms are like 10 times longer than Alistair Brownlee's are. Mm. So it's important that you just sort of keep it into context. And, um, and like I say, everyone, unfortunately, I can't give you a golden number. Coaches in the past have tried to give people a golden number, sub 40 per 50, but it, it's just not useful at all to give that number for you. I think it's just good to know that. You know, like a lot of people do have these numbers they hear, don't they? And, Yep. as you say it's not really relevant to the to the individual absolutely you know you might find out that you know back in the back in the uh, in the lance armstrong days of uh, of cycling so if you might yeah. anything else aside let's just talk talk purely about cadence and stuff but you might have sort of said okay he was riding at 104 um you know um pedals per minute or cycle um, rpm per minute sort of thing and um you know, but you don't realise that he was pushing a fifty-three fourteen gear, and you're you're only able to spin it in the small ring, for example. You know, so it's it's about sort of keeping it in context and just sort of experimenting with that a little bit yourself. But um, yeah, I, I, I'd encourage you, some of your listeners, to go out there and just sort of have a little look with that, and uh, you know, not get too obsessed on either side of the equation. Start to look at the differences between how very good pool swimmers and very good open water swimmers swim, because you know, the arguably the dominant um, swim type in the rough open water, for, whether it be for triathlon or open water swimming, is that swinger style with that higher tempo, higher stroke rate, slightly shorter stroke. It doesn't look necessarily as nice, but it's a much more of a sort of rhythmical stroke for the rough, choppy open water. Um, and likewise, in the pool, you'll still watch the World Championships, you'll watch the uh, Commonwealth Games, the Olympic Games, and look at those beautiful, smooth strokes, and um, and you'll start to see some... Uh, you know, you, you'll see some beautiful, efficient freestyle swim strokes out there. What is interesting, though, is the women's 800 freestyle short course world record recently went at, uh, in Barcelona. And of the eight 
swimmers in that event in the pool, all eight were swimming with the swinger swim style. So they all had a very high cadence, short strokes, and just sort of turning it over like Janet Evans used to do. So I think there's maybe a little bit of a resurgence of that, or at least a bit of respect and recognition for that type of stroke. And, you know, it might not look the prettiest, but again, we're not racing for style points here. We're racing for to be the fastest or to be the most efficient. And, um, you know, Alistair Brownlee is arguably very efficient at his stroke rate. <laughs> so there we go. Um, in terms of what Swim Smooth is doing, um, we've got something very exciting in the pipeline, which we'll be releasing um, around about February, March time uh, next year. I can't say too much more about that than that, but it's um, it's hopefully going to open up what we do with respect to video work and et cetera to, to a much broader um, broader audience. So that's uh, very exciting. Yes. We're going to be... We're going to be over in the UK uh, in March for both the triathlon show in London and also up in Manchester. They're just uh, one week apart, and we'll be also over there running some courses, etc. We're currently training up another um, another wave of swim swim coaches to become certified, one over in the US, one in Canada, one in Hong Kong, and an, another uh, swim coach up in the north of England as well. So, um, yeah, it's been been busy period. I've just um, – I've literally – I'm two days out of um, – spinal surgery as well believe oh, really? <laughs> sort of yeah just sort of recovering from that at the moment uh, yeah <laughs> nothing related to manhattan you know everyone wanted to know how dirty that water was and i yes i did get terribly sick i was on three courses of antibiotics after it really? uh, which was which was pretty bad but the, the bad backs nothing related to that i didn't get hit by a boat or a log or anything like that um but yeah i've had a pretty bad back for the last five months and uh went in for spinal surgery um last week end of last week and uh on full recovery now, it's amazing how much of a difference that's uh, that's made. So I'm I'm feeling pretty good, pretty pretty buoyant, and positive about 2014. Oh, bring it on! Good. So guys, you can uh, check out all that stuff at swimsmooth.com. Yeah, it's really great products, guys. Check it out. They got you know, it kind of covers every type of swimmer, and uh, they've really kind of got packages there that really work for everyone. So make sure you check it out. And the DVDs they've got free, those are nice free little on the uh, on the tempo. I know it's a bit of a plug. I'm sorry. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Free, we've got free shipping on the Tempo Trainer at the moment, so if you just go uh, swimsmooth.com, you'll see it on the uh, on the shop page. So that's free uh, worldwide shipping up until the middle of January, I think. So um, nice. you should be able to find that out there. Awesome, nice. Paul. Well, speedy recovery, and uh, hope we catch up with you at some stage in 2014. That's great. Thanks ever so much for talking to me again, guys. That's uh, really enjoyed that. No worries, mate. Look after that back. Uh, thank you. Cheers. Thanks. All right, mate. See you, mate. What do you think, Jumbo? Fantastic. Fan flipping testic. So everybody's got to have their own style to a large degree. And one thing I forgot to say, Paul, if you are listening to this, make sure you give Guy Crawford a lot of crap that his girlfriend, uh, or maybe even fiancé, is almost beating him out of the swim. Especially, they're, 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 oh, well, we, haven't, we haven't done the interview. Oh, we, I'll put the interview in, haven't I? Yeah. Oh, good. Um, that's, that's a massive increase on her speed. Mm. And she's short and Guy's big. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's pretty impressive to go yeah. from 103 down to 48. Like, again, it might be a fast day, but... That's, that's pretty impressive. Yes. So, guys, check that out. Swimsmooth.com. Good stuff. Sponsor. Sponsor. Sealing your lines, Bevan. Extreme endurance. Tell me about I it. I get asked a John's lot rushing because he, he needs to be out of here by what time? Four o'clock. I'm out of here. Is it You're 4.15? F- no, I did not say 4.15. I said four o'clock. Oh, no. A new set of ears for you for Christmas. Oh, no, you did say 4.15. No, I said I'm going to be home at 4.15. Oh. I said I'm going to leave at four o'clock. Uh, anyway, extreme endurance. Lots of people ask me uh, how long do you need to be on it before a race. Typically, I say to people, um, and what I've found in my own experiences, a week is easily long enough to get a really big boost uh, when you go into a race. So if you've got anything coming up, um, then a week is fine. And then I take it usually 
for keep keep on it for a few days afterwards, and then it kind of depends whether you've got other events coming up as to whether you come off it or you stay on it all the time or whatever. But a week is sufficient time to to get on it. I was also interested to note that I was on the Extreme Endurance Facebook page, and one of their sponsored athletes just set a new hundred mile US record. Which is pretty impressive. Hundred mile running. Hundred mile running. Eleven hours and forty seven minutes. It's an average of seven oh four per mile per for a hundred miles. So what's that in case gone? Do you want much of a miler? Zach, uh, Zach Bitter. I can tell you what that is in miles for, for a moment. You can tell us how fantastic extreme endurance is. Well, you know what? I, I, I can never use it because I'm always bloody injured nowadays. But I'll tell you what. It would everyone, be if you took it. Uh, well, maybe that's true. Maybe I need to get on it. But. Everyone, you know, we get so much feedback from people, and I often talk about when John and I first started. Like when we first started with these guys, people were like, "Oh, you supplement, you know." And and I have to admit that we were we were a little bit, "Oh, are we doing the right thing here?" But you know, it's proven to be a really good, you know, sponsor of the show because so many people have come back with feedback saying it's really worked for them. So if you are looking for that little edge in your training, you kind of want that next level, and you want something to give it a try, check out xendurance.com team. And John's pulling up the. Uh, it's about five. I think it's about 5.45. Yeah, but for 100 miles, that's not bad. Anyway, it's a bloody record, and there's been some good runners coming out of the States, so I'm picking that's a pretty good time. Not too shabby. So it's endurance, guys. Check it out. And remember, promo code IAMTALK5. We have quite a few questions from Aussies who have been asking how much it costs for me to ship it over there. It's New Zealand, $7 to ship um, several packets over to Australia. So if you want some, just get in touch with me via coachjohnnewsome.com. Rather than keeping eat the. Oh, no, I'm not a bloody admin lady. God, <laughs> sort it out. Okay, guys, we've got another interview coming up. We've got David Rollins. He's a senior lecturer and a director of physical exercise physiology and meta- metabolism. God, I can't get Meta- it out. Metabolism. Metabolism. Um, and uh, he's going to be talking about some of that stuff right now. So here we go. Here's David. Um, long time no speak, actually. Yes, or see you. Not seen you on the race course lately. Uh, yeah, you mean um, personally competing or yeah. out in the field? No, uh, personally competing. You still active and fit? Yeah, on the bike, um, road cycling at the moment. I, I gave up duathlon in 2008, so with Achilles tendon injury problems, so I'm just enjoying road racing at the moment. Very good. One of the, um, obviously the hot topic was, it's a fairly hot topic just in general population as well as the, the triathlon world at the moment is all high fat, low carb and everybody's very, very passionate about all this stuff um, and got their various opinions, but you're actually a guy who's done a bit of, uh, gone into this in a bit more detail, but it was quite some time ago where you, you know, basically did a high, bit of a high fat study back in 2002, so I was wondering if you could just tell us um, way back then, you know, what was your aim and, and where did your sort of decision to sort of go down that path of researching high fat come from? Yeah, interesting question, um, that was for my doctorate work and back in 90, 1993, my supervisor, Will Hopkins, uh, Professor Will Hopkins, who's uh, AUT-based and, and also private consulting now, but um, him and Professor John Hawley at the time um, came up with a paradigm where, whereby um, high-fat diets should be optimal in terms of energy provision for ultra-endurance exercise, whereas high-carbohydrate diets should, should be optimal for um, shorter, high-intensity high type events. And the uh, crossover point in terms of diet and energy substrate provision was thought to be somewhere around the four-hour mark for maximal effort exercise. And that paradigm was, was put out 
in the literature in 1994 in um, general sports medicine and um, I, I was interested in doing a doctorate at that time and um, it was proposed to me that it could be something worthwhile interesting uh, worthwhile studying so it's really around the idea that um, after around ooh, three to four hours of high intensity exercise the muscle um, body's glycogen stores start to run out and the the primary source of fuel available um, to the body is then um, intramuscular and um, adipose lipid so the theory is that if 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 you could train your body through diet and, uh, combined with endurance training to um, increase the maximal capacity to to utilize fat as a fuel then performance should should be enhanced as well in, in ultra endurance events. So we set about trying to research those those two con- concepts: the maximal fat oxidation concept and um, high fat diets for ultra endurance performance. And we found, yes, indeed, um, after several weeks of adaptation to a low carb, high fat diet, the maximal rate of fat oxidation goes up. Um, and there's there was some evidence for improvement in ultra endurance performance. Our performance test was a bunch of preloading exercise for two and a half hours, including some high intensity work, followed by a 100 kilometer time trial on the bike. So the total exercise duration in that trial was around five hours. So we're getting past that four hour um, theoretical threshold, but not 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 out to the Ironman duration, which which for most people is around twice that. So the we were we were underpowered statistically. So there there, there was some some evidence for benefit of adaptation to a high fat diet, but um, that's as far as it went. It, it didn't it didn't gain a lot of credence in the sports science community, and, and but that was really a statistical power issue. Might have also been a placebo effect. Um, it was impossible to blind the participants to to, to the diets, um, so we always have to keep that in mind. I, I bet that some of your, your subjects here were thrilled about doing a hundred kilometer time trial on a trainer. Yeah, it was hard to recruit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, what were your thoughts then? You know, like I know it's very you, you guys are very much obviously science and you know making sure you're getting, getting these facts kind of right. But what was the kind of what did you what would you take away from it? Uh, the take was the 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 body's very plastic to diet. It'll it'll pretty much adapt to what you put into it. This this, this is a highly trained athlete that is, um, and we we've seen other anecdotes and and there's been other other research subsequently in, in um, similar lines and and they all show that within four to five days the body, well the skeletal muscle was switched over its substrate utilization. So the substrate that's provided to the muscle in the form of diet. Um, can be readily accessed and, and oxidised during exercise to provide fuel. So that, that that's the first thing. The muscle is very plastic. Um, another thing was that while the high carbohydrate diet is not necessarily the um, um, panacea that or panacea that um, people make, it, it, it will that um, the um, um, dietitians in particular have um, made it out to be that. Um, athletes uh, may not necessarily go go better with a high high carbohydrate approach. So I'll just turn that mobile phone off. And um, what else did we observe? Well, it's 
it's still really an open question because there's only been two research studies done, one by myself and Will Hopkins and the other by Andrew Carey with um, um, a group from the Australian Institute of Sport. And the Andrew Carey study only adapted them for five days. And I mean, really, physiologically, um, adapt adaptation or um, substantial adaptation in the um, biological sense may, may take months, if not um, six months to a year for um, for a substantial switchover. It depends on what, what you're really talking about in terms of adaptation. It's really acclimation anyway. So um, I, we're, we're really left with a whole lot of questions unanswered really. And I, I think I think it's still out there. And uh, I mean, one of the other big big issues we've got with um, really getting hard data is is that um, a good supplement doesn't exist for um, people taking a, a high fat approach. Um, another. What do you mean by uh, that? Yeah. Sorry. What was that, John? Oh, what, do you, what do you What do you mean by a good supplement doesn't exist? Well. Currently, uh, the exercise supplements that are available on the market are all high carbohydrate based. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, this is a confusing thing for a lot of people because they've been told for so long by the dietitians and, and, and what have you that, you know, go high carb all the time. And, and that seems to, you know, for a lot of people, um, seems to give them stomach issues. And, and, and I guess a lot of the people in the, the higher fat, lower carb diet um, sort of way of thinking are, are sort of arguing that well, if you can become more efficient um, by utilising your fat stores more efficiently by taking in less carbohydrate you might be able to avoid um, necessarily taking in so much so you might have less stomach issues hence you're going to perform perform better so I mean is that high carb that we've been told about for so long you basically you're saying before it's not necessarily that panacea that we all thought it was and you can get by um, by not necessarily having quite so much certainly in terms of diet um there's, there's, there's good data to suggest that um, providing there is sufficient glycogen available, um, a, a normal diet, a normal mixed diet, um, offers similar performance advantages compared to a high-carbohydrate diet if carbohydrate is ingested prior to and um, during exercise on the day. Um, the, other, the other thing that is an important point that is becoming quite clear over, over the last few years of research is the um, type of carbohydrate that's ingested during exercise has has a um, can can have a substantial effect on gastrointestinal distress and um, carbohydrate availability to the muscle. And it's quite clear now that mixtures of uh, fructose and glucose or fructose and maltodextrin. Um, operate much better than than um, um, maltodextrin alone, because the two different types of sugars are transported by different mechanisms in the gut, and there's some synergism occurring there. So the, but that, but notwithstanding, um, increasing the maximal capacity to utilise fat, theoretically at least, um, has to be advantageous because it conserves glycogen. Yeah. So what's your what's your take home message, I guess, for um, yeah. for athletes that are out there now that are bloody confused as hell as to what, it really what they should a, be doing? It's like a really confusing time, eh? Like we've just you know like there's all these mixed messages right now, and there's like it's just I think everyone's more confused than anything. 
Oh, it's a complex area. I, I mean, people are taking... Everyone's different. And um, uh, one of the issues, is, especially around Ironman sport, is, is, the, is the daily caloric intake so high and the individual has to deal with a substantial insulin load. And um, that, that can be quite tough on the body, basically. Um, um, so, sorry, a, a sub substantial um, glycemic load requiring a sub substantial insulin re re response, particularly people who are, who are highly susceptible to putting on weight. So they're quite um, they're susceptible to putting on muscle and fat mass. Um, I, I, I mean, everyone's different, and, and there's a spectrum, and people habituate to different conditions. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are different ideal diets for different people, and um, um, that that may be associated with their um, hormonal endocrine response to um, carbohydrate loads. And those particular in individuals may may be better off on a moderate carbohydrate, even low carbohydrate approach because their body doesn't have to deal with so much um, glucose on a daily basis. Mm. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, are you able to divulge any of the study that you're doing at the moment or does that need to be saved for another day? That'll have to be saved for another day, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I, you shouldn't even know that I'm doing a study at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, do, I don't know anything. Um, it's sealed. Awesome, Dave. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's um, you know, There's a lot of people with different opinions out there at the moment, but we really wanted to try to hear a bit about some actual research that's been done. So um, thanks so much for your time, and we'll, uh, we'll maybe look forward to catching up with you at some stage next year. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. Um, you just caught me in the minute. I've got about eight students behind me um, um, wanting your attention. Working, working on important things. So That's cool. Yeah, that's great. It was great to talk to you, and I'm happy to happy to log in again sometime. Cool. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks for your time. John, John what do you think? Fantastic. We haven't actually, we, we're recording this bit here because John needs to go, so we haven't actually listened, interviewed him yet, but I'm sure it was amazing. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it was life-changing. John, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Oh, I, yeah. I, I am liking the new Athlinks site. Somebody emailed me through and said, oh, it's crap. I said, Bull crap is crap. It's fantastic. It's uh, it's so much easier to find things. So they have still got the old site up there that if you need to go and get anything from there, if, if something hasn't been that? exported across, you can go to storage.athlinks.com okay, for great. the old site. But a few of the things um, that – the main thing for me is the, the search functionality. So if I type in, you know, Auckland 70.3. Yep, which you're going to dominate this year. Which I'm going to dominate, yep. Yeah. Now it just comes up one result. In the past, you would have got all these different 70.3 results. I can quickly go in there and I can tell you who the fastest Athlinks finisher was. We'd be doing this on the old site and we'd still be waiting here for the results to come up. Not now. We can say that last year, Matt Harrop was the first Athlinks finisher in 4.2301 and Amanda Wendorf was the first female finisher in 4.50. The other cool thing that they've, they've got with a number of, um, well, they're going to be starting to bring in a bit more, is, and they've got this, if you look if you, at the top of their page, they've sort of got what's coming up with Athlinks, and they've got, they're going to start doing a bit more event and anal analytics, and they've got one on the Hartford Marathon as just an example. One thing that was blowing me away, Bevan, is I had a look at, say, Auckland 70.3, and I was also looking at Ironman New Zealand, yep. and the, the right, and what they do on here, if you look under statistics, they've got you know the number of participants yep. per, per age group, etc. 
And the number of females versus males in triathlons is staggering. Like it's it's only females. I think the race that I looked at it was like twenty two percent females versus males. Which Does is, that surprise which you? It was more than I. Th- it was a lot more males than, than than I thought. Yet when we go to say this marathon race in the states, it's basically fifty fifty. Well, so if we look at Auckland, seventy point three, you had six hundred twenty seven men, and then females you had nearly two hundred. So it's a bit more than twenty percent. But yeah, it's definitely. But that doesn't surprise me because when you go to races, it's all mainly men. Mm. But then I look at this this marathon, and then it's it's fifty fifty. Yeah, women run more, don't they? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So why don't women do triathlon? I don't know. When you ask, or maybe it's long course because then you look at those women's triathlons. Mm. That was really popular, mm. but they don't they don't plant the seed of triathlon, do they? Mm. They kind of it's it's the one thing I've done, and then yeah, yeah. you know so they don't for some reason that doesn't then go into people doing Olympic tries. Well, what they're doing with this uh, Hartford race, you know, they've got this statistical analysis of each year, how many participants there are and how it's sort of growing. Just And it's just so much quicker and so much easier. So now, you know, if I need to research any of my competition for any races coming up, boom, chuck it in there. comes up very, very fast. So check it out, guys, athlinks.com. And lay down some smack talk for uh, if you've got any races coming up. Okay, John. Questions and answers. Richard Swan's come through and he's talked about the slowest ever Ironman run. Yes. So so he, he sent an email off to Russell Cox and also Torsten saying he's got this mate, uh, Duncy, who had a massive explosion at Ironman New Zealand in 2009. And he gets teased, in good humour, about his 8-hour 45 marathon time. And he was wondering if that is, in fact, the slowest Ironman time of all time. It's not that fast, John. 8 hours 45. Yeah. It's not express speed. No. And Russell came back and said, no, um, based on what he's found out, there's actually 25 slower runs out there. Really? Top, top of his chart is Wilhelm Wagner at Ironman Austria in 2011, finished in 16.55.12 with a 106 bike, a 451, no, 106 swim, 451 on the bike, which is, that's, that's not too shabby. And then... A running a ten forty four really so I'm thinking that was either a lot of time in a medical tent or something you you can't move that slowly ten fifty four forty four you can't you can't go that slow he had you would have to have a significant stop stop yeah. Who was that guy we had on an epic camp years ago who actually had to sleep for a couple of hours? Yeah, so that's the kind of thing that, <laughs> that, that, that I think. But that's, he says that, that that is the slowest one that he has got on record. Wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah, Torsten also had some stuff there. The slowest he has in his pro data was an 8.17. From a pro? Yeah, by Shigenobi Igata from Hawaii in 2009 for a 14.30. Wow, followed by a few more eight-hour-plus runs. There's been a few pros out there that have gone. Why would a pro do this? Well, I don't know. Like you know, again, get... maybe they've gone in, gone to the medical tent, and then just said, "Oh, I'm just going to finish this off." You, you know, that's... But for a pro, like okay, I get an age grouper. You know, I could have finished mm. this journey. Mm. But for a pro, mate, go home, sleep it off, and come back next week. Go back and do Ironman Florida or something. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, John. Uh, so don't be slow. That's the key there. The rest of the stuff we can leave till next year, can't oh, can we? I just, can I just do one quick one? Yep. Murray, Murray, Murray. Lapworth. The Holy Hammer did some research for us. He busted me tra- running a red light the other day. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were riding together. <laughs> oh, that's gold. Over on Little Mr. I never run a red light. Over on the far side of Littleton Harbour where there is no traffic whatsoever. Oh, really? Really? It's six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, really? Oh, it's okay then, is it? It's fine. You've got all these rules. You're allowed to run. So wait, did you were you riding with him? 
Yes. And then you say, wait a second, you said, you said yeah. I never do red light. Yeah. I said, there's plenty of green in that red. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lipworth, we're talking about the, our, you know, would you pull your pants or not? Mm. And he came back to me and he said, wait a second, where is it? Um, your discussion on uh, comfort, he basically, when he was out for a run the other day, he did, he did. <laughs> in, in and out, 75 seconds. 75 seconds. Yeah. You know, triple wipe. Solid. <laughs> There you go. It's worth it. Yeah, so so he reckons in a race you're looking at a minute. Yeah. I reckon that minute. And you're a kg lighter by the time you take off again. Yeah, and discomfort, it's worth doing it. Mm. Sacrifice that minute. Yeah. You know. The person in question that this topic came up from, I discussed it with her, and she felt that if she had stopped and gone to the toilet, it was like breaking the seal and she was going to have to go oh, quite a few times. Okay, so that is why then. she made the decision okay, not to. Yeah, good call. Okay, Jonbo, what's the goss? We've got seven minutes to wrap this bad boy seven up. Seven minutes to wrap it up. Do you know why? Tell us about your book, Bevan. We were redoing the wrap up because it was a bit of a disaster, to be honest, before. And uh, I was just talking about my book, and it's just official, John. It's been signed by a publisher. Yeah, that's um, You know what? I am actually really proud of it because I'm a kid who couldn't spell. Like, when I was a kid, I couldn't spell three-letter words. And the fact that I've written a book's a bit of a highlight in my life. So Good. Well done. I think we broke another leg. Oh, yeah. Uh. So, <laughs> Today, it's the last show of the year, and he managed to break not one, but both mic stands. And yeah. now he's broken even further. Yeah, oh well. Let's get some new mic stands. Still got our good Audio Technica. That's right, Audio Technica rocks. Anyway, John Boy, what, what are you doing for Christmas? Biking to Kaiteri, two days. <laughs> 300k's first day, and it's through some pretty solid hills. And then That's your longest ride ever, isn't it? I've done 300 before, but not this extreme hills. It's so, it's a, so, how long will you be riding for? I am picking ride time will be close to 12 hours. Wow, that's a long time riding, isn't it? I, 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 yeah, somewhere between 11 and 12. How will you block it up? Will we, what, three hours, two hours? We're, we're not stopping. We're, 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 our stops are going to be very short and very infrequent because I want to just get there. Yeah, I suppose go, 12 go hours. Yeah. What time are leaving? Six, so you six. get there at six at night. Yeah, so we've got a little bit of daylight issue. Yeah. Not, not too much. It doesn't get dark till nine o'clock. We won't be going till nine. No, you, no, you'll be fine. The forecast is uh, nor'westers to start with and then hopefully swing into... Southerlies, which is, means the rain's chasing us, but could mean for the first uh, four hours we've got headwind. Oh, no, headwind, hills. Could be pretty severe. <laughs> Sounds like fun. So it should be good times. I'm actually really looking forward to it as long as it doesn't rain too much. And so then you'll do 150? 150, 150 the next day, and then I'll roll into Kaiteri and have to put on happy smiley face and pretend nothing's happened for right. my family. <laughs> Straight to the beach. What happens Christmas Day? The kids get up early? Kids have got to stay in bed till the momos wake up. Their little alarm clock, six fifteen, and the turkey. Ha- I ha- I've I've let the turkey go. First time, I think almost ever in Christmas. I've Do you let know the what, John? Go. I'm always a little bit disappointed in the turkey. Yeah, but it's tradition. I, I agree. The turkey doesn't. It's not the. You know what? The cooked chicken from the supermarket's yeah, better than the turkey. I, I totally agree. Yeah, turkey's a bit dry. Yeah, it is a bit dry, isn't we, it? We're going for a big fillet steak and uh, we'll probably Ooh. have a. a, a a little turkey. So why did the turkey go? There's not enough space in the oven. It's a new oven and it's too small. Uh, fair I, I need good equipment. Yeah, I never get the turkey. I know the tradition of it, but I'm like, when you get those cooked chickens from the supermarket, if you get those, yeah. they're good, aren't they? Quality. And they're always cooked well. Nice and well, the new world, 14 bucks, don't do it. Pack and slave, you get it for 10. Yeah. <laughs> Just that. Oh, we haven't got time to go. <laughs> anyway, um, and, then, and then New Year's? Big night New Year's, power chundering off the... Uh, <laughs> again, this is a joke. Do you actually do anything New Year's? Oh, we'll have drinks and stuff. We won't be start, I won't be staying up till midnight. Uh, no. But soon you're going to have to because the kids will want to. <laughs> I think that soon's coming around. Oh, no, because when they get to about eight, you know, seven or eight, you know, they want to kind of you know, get set to midnight and you sing a song and they go to bed. Our kids go to bed at seven o'clock. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> early, to be, early to bed, early up in the morning. And, uh, and prediction on your own present? Um, 
the cookbook. Oh, nice. Okay. I'm thinking. Okay. Cause Cause you'd I, did, like I, I did get that last year, so. And you've got a cook magazine for. I do. I just knew that from nowhere. Out of nowhere. <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, we, we don't go big on the presents between myself and Belinda. It's, it's all about the kids. Fair enough. Mm. And then they're getting Lego, I think. Yep. Lego <laughs> friends, even, for Felicity. What's that? They're like a little dog beside her or something, do they? Yeah, sort of get more, slightly more girly. Okay. Yeah. Even you're excited? Uh, yeah, I love Christmas. I really do. And, uh, you know, you're going to your sister's this year, aren't you? <laughs> you're a genius. Because <laughs> Joe's more... not going to be here. I oh, know, she's going to be in Queenstown. So what happens is Joe drives down to Queenstown, although I don't have to do the drive, I fly. Nice. So um, she drive, Joe drives to Queenstown, or Arrowtown actually, the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve. And then I spend Christmas, first two thirds of Christmas Day with my family, and then I go nice. and fly to Queenstown with Joe. And then we go camping with Porno and the crew. Looking mm-hmm. forward to that And then um, New Year's We're going to be wearing Animal onesies Okay Each yeah. their own Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was Porno's idea So yeah. So we, I've got an Elmo one And Joe, I mean, Joe's got a Tigger Do you see that picture Of that dude Who raced an Ironman somewhere And he had a, fo- a, a, a Tri-suit with a, Basically a, a Colour of his skin With a bikini painted onto it Oh no But it looked pretty real Did it It looked pretty quality It was pretty disturbing So yeah it was pretty disturbing When you first see it Yeah, yeah. Oh no yeah. Um, And then yeah Just a time off So look forward to it Very good Team we're gonna, We didn't do a best of the year Because we didn't even really think about it To be honest But what we're going to do Is beginning of next year We're going to do the best of 2013 We'll just talk about the results and stuff And Dawson Get on your homework on that one yeah. um, And then uh, More importantly Ebook um, is going to be our first show back. Ebook, we've got the book coming out, and that's you know, and that will sell real quick, guys. So get in with it, what the seventh, seventh, yep, seventh of Jan. We'll put that book out then, and that's you know, first five hundred people are going to go in the draw to win the ultimate trip to Kona. So <laughs> it's not going to be like like Iron Man. If you miss that first hundred, there's five hundred. There's not going to be no. a foundation slot where you pay no, five times no, as much. Exactly, you can't do that. <laughs> it's five times. Well, if you want to, maybe we should leave ten spots here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you pay five hundred and you can get that extra. That's right, ticket. you get that extra ticket. I got the golden ticket. Um, and, and also, oh. there is going to be some um, constellation prizes. We've got uh, eight little profile hydration system bottles, the ones that slap onto your bars. They're so, a bit different nowadays, aren't they? Yeah, they're really good. I've been using mine a lot. Yeah. So. Winner takes all, more or less, but if you're one of those eight losers, then uh, you're an eight loser. <laughs> you can still get a little prize, which is worth more than what you And are we, are we going to give nicknames to everyone? <laughs> no, I'm not even 500 nicknames. No, no, but we could kind of work it over the year. Okay. You know what I mean? If you haven't already got a nickname, because then you still get something for entering. Sounds good. Other than the great five-page book we're going to make for you. Yeah. <laughs> Six-page, actually. Um, anyway, um, also just thanks for everything this year, guys. You guys rock, and we love that you guys are part of this community. And I hope you guys have a safe Christmas with your family and mm-hmm. friends and uh, keep you training up. And, and if you've got family... Take a couple of days off training. Yeah. Don't do any training on Christmas Day. Don't be upset. Eat, eat a lot on Christmas Day. It's yeah. okay. It's only one day of your life. Yeah. Let it go. Let it go. Anyway, here we go. Bevan, Bevan knows it's 3.59. I oh, know, but you've got one minute. Four o'clock. He's got one minute. She can't miss the gym. She's got body attack. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Love your work. Still at 30 seconds. Oh, what else been happening? <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you guys.